0: How are you dealing with this just as um, a global citizen, like taking in this news?
1: Oh, you know, that's, that's a really, really hard part of this. Um, and one of the listservs that I'm on is actually an international group of relational psychoanalysts. So uh, a conversation has started, like there's a conversation that's going to go on through this week, where people from all over the world are sharing their experiences as therapists. You know, and it's it's really um, creating a like a very heightened awareness of we're all in this together, you know, like it's one world.
0: What is it that especially touched you? reading that?
1: Well, um, the I think the things that are really just the most heartbreaking and saddest things, and I'm bracing myself because these things are coming my way, is, therapists who are working with people whose family members have died and they haven't been able to see them
0: oh because they're not allowed to Because right? they're not because allowed the viruses is... okay. yeah
1: yeah because they're not allowed to go into the hospitals or the nursing homes right um the there is a america is not quite here yet but there's an intensely tragic part of this that that it has hit to some degree in Seattle, but um, but the farther away we are from it, the fewer people we know who are going through it, the less it kind of penetrates for most people, you know. And I don't I don't have to help that person in Seattle through their loss because I don't know them, right? But I know it's coming.
0: Welcome to the Women, a production of I, Radio and myself, your host Rose Reed. This is a show where we interview women about their extraordinary journeys, and we'll continue to be covering women on the front lines of the coronavirus and COVID-19. And we want to hear from you. If you have a request or a question, please email our team. And we're also collecting voice memos. We want to know about your individual experience. Please send those to thewomenpod at gmail.com. Things are moving at such a rapid pace, and as I record in my apartment in New York, I'm feeling more cut off from the tragic and daunting realities that are facing the world. The World Health Organization has reported that around the world there are more than 290,000 confirmed cases, and that this disease has claimed more than 12,000 lives. In New York, where I live, our governor has shut down all businesses that are non-essential and has encouraged everyone to stay home as much as possible. And the mayor of New York has pleaded for more ventilators from those who may have them and are not using them, as the entire world is scrambling for more medical supplies. On our last episode, I spoke with Dr. Antoinette Ward, who created and is leading a testing site for COVID-19 at a major hospital in Atlanta. Antoinette, like many healthcare professionals, have had to change everything about their job to attend to the crisis at hand while they personally navigate the pandemic. And today I'm speaking with licensed psychologist, Dr. Jill Bresler.
1: And right now my work is important to me because I feel like um, I have a real chance to, to do something in terms of helping people figure out how to live as well as possible in, in these very odd times.
0: Jill is a cognitive behavioral therapist and a psychoanalyst.
1: I'm Jill Bressler, a PhD. I'm a psychologist. I'm in private practice in New York City, and also on the faculty of NYU postdoctoral program in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. And I'm the co-director of the psychotherapy integration program at the National Institute for the Psychotherapies. And what is...
0: What does all of that mean, like all that education and the credentials, the pedigree? What does it mean for a therapist?
1: Uh, just means I've been doing this for a long time and very seriously.
0: In our last episode, we looked at how the coronavirus is impacting the hospitals and affecting patients physically. And this episode, we'll be looking at how the pandemic and the ripple effects are impacting the public and individuals mentally and emotionally. Jill is a family friend, and I know her as an early riser, a dog lover, an avid knitter, and a supreme chicken roaster. Jill has been a practicing psychologist for over 30 years and has treated hundreds of patients. I wanted to know how her training and her experiences are impacting how she's approaching therapy with her patients during this crisis, and maybe get some insight into how we can deal with what surfaces as we lead a more isolated existence and contemplate a very scary and unknown
1: future. I've been thinking a lot about the moment that we're in. Uh, I was in New York for 9-11. I was in New York for Sandy. And I feel like this is the third big crisis that I can remember being in New York for. 9-11 and Sandy were so different because they were kind of events that happened, and we had to react to them. And in this crisis, the worst is, I mean, in New York, the worst is actually ahead of us. So we're already in something, but it hasn't quite played out yet.
0: Can you give me an idea of what your week was like before? And I can see the contrast and just in your life.
1: Yeah. Towards the end of the week before last, the week before this week, people, some of my patients started to be kind of surprised that we were still meeting in the office. By Thursday, uh, it was very clear to me that Thursday was going to be my last day in the office and that I was going to have to um, kind of figure out how to work differently. And by Monday, we were all starting, you know, we connected with patients. We kind of explained what we could do. People actually, you know, very much wanted to see us. And by Monday, we started to work mostly, I think most of us mostly video, some phone with our patients. And of course, the conversation at that point completely changed because for the most part, what was top of mind for everybody was how we're now living, you know, because everyone was pretty much staying home. Everyone was pretty much trying to figure out how do I do this? You know, everyone was kind of sorting through, like, who am I worried about? What can I do to help? How do I live day to day? What's going to happen to me? Right. So the conversations just have really been unprecedented, of course, this week.
0: I mean, I, I assume that you're kind of unpacking that on both a personal level, global citizen level, and mm-hmm. as a therapist?
1: I do have a strong feeling of mobilization and focus, right? which is, for me, really good, psychically really good. Um, and this is w- another one of those experiences, again, which which has happened periodically over my time working in New York. And it's quite unusual where I'm going through the same thing as my patients. So I'm mobilized, but I'm also in the experience.
0: Wow, I've never thought of it like that.
1: Yeah. Normally, somebody is somebody in my practice is going through a breakup, but I'm not going through a breakup. And if I were, I would be holding it to myself. It wouldn't be coming into the room at all. Somebody is going through struggling with X or Y or Z problem most of the time. If I have that problem, I keep it to myself, right? In situations like this, it's extremely clear that we're all going through the same thing together. My patient is sitting in their house. I'm seeing their house. I'm sitting in my house. They're seeing my house, right? We're, it's. Um,
0: oh, you're doing video, not phone.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Most of us are doing video.
0: Why, why are you doing video and not phone?
1: Most of us feel that, like, face-to-face, embodied, in the room, I see you, you see me, I feel you on some somatic level, you feel me. It's just a, a situation in which you can kind of pick up a lot more. And it's really it's kind of the way humans are built to relate.
0: Which we're all learning with, with all this enforced social distancing, which, like... Yes. Is really playing on um, what we really, I think so many of us have taken for granted of how we, we get happiness from, what were you saying? Being in the room, picking up on what they're putting down Mm -hmm. and that presence.
1: Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Humans have a need. Like we know from, we know from uh, infancy research, right? And we know from, on humans Uh, old, old, old attachment theory research that humans who don't have touch, who don't have contact, don't thrive. So obviously in a therapy situation, we don't have touch, but we have contact, right? We have a certain kind of um, physical being together that people, uh, people kind of need to thrive. One of the things I'm a bit concerned about is and I'm thinking about this a lot with my patients who are living in various, you know, different kind of circumstances. So some people are, there's all different uh, stressors that come of being, of staying at home. There's people who live in high conflict families are going to have a certain set of problems when they're staying at home, right? People who, and people who live alone, who this week, it's interesting, this week everybody who lived alone, basically or just about everybody said you know, I'm really used to this. This doesn't bother me. I'm fine. Wow. I am going to be really tracking that carefully from week to week, because I think it is going to get kind of wearing on people.
0: Those who feel comfortable living alone and being alone.
1: Yeah. Even people who feel comfortable living alone, I think are going to say enough already with the aloneness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and for those who are, who are not alone, what have you, how have you seen their reaction?
1: Um, you know that varies. I think I think people who uh, who like the people who they live with are very very glad of the company, and I think that people who don't like who they live with are um, you know are going to struggle. And are already struggling a little bit.
0: What about those who maybe don't have a safe home? Who maybe experience domestic violence? Mm-hmm. Have you yeah. heard anything about this period?
1: Um, I've been reading about that, of course. I, you know, it's not something I've, I've had to deal with. But, um, but, yeah, we're all really worried about people who live in uh, very high-conflict homes.
0: What are some of the concerns?
1: Um, the, you know, the general concerns that you have when, um, in, when people live in high-conflict homes, that there's, you know, there's going to be domestic violence, there always is, but whether it will rise. Because out of the frustration, the fear, the pressure, you know, um, things are going to get harder. Again, I think this is going to roll out from week to week. I think the concerns are going to change. Uh, my clientele is very lucky in that most of them are salaried. You know, That's not true for some of my colleagues, obviously, right? There are people who are, um, you know, people who are dependent on the gig economy who are freelancers who are definitely going to be affected financially. And so I'm sure there are a great many clients worrying about that. But if, if that worry isn't top of mind right now, if you're kind of in some way set, then what I'm seeing is concern for family. Is my mother okay? You know, is, are all of us going to be okay? If we need to help each other, how are we going to do that? That kind of thing. And if those, concern, if those concerns are met, then we're getting into, in the first week, a lot about how do I cope with this? So how do I, how do I live in this context? And some interesting, uh, most of the people that I've been working with have been like, pretty thoughtful and pretty resourceful about this.
0: Are people surprising you?
1: Yes. What I'm finding is, and and I actually think that this is really, um, this is going to be of lasting use, like when we get back to normal life. I think what I'm seeing in people is something that I want to hold on to.
0: Like what?
1: Because what I'm, well, what I'm seeing is is how dropped into a kind of a, a new circumstance. Like one of the metaphors I've been using with people is, you know, in a lot of ways, Things look the same, but in very real ways, you've just been dropped onto a new planet and you have to figure out how to live on this planet. And what I've been really um, heartened by is how many people are just immediately understanding, yeah, that's my challenge, and how creative people are and how thoughtful they are about how they're going to do that. So people are, you know, for the most part, very much aware that even if they haven't been able to quite organize yet, that they want to get themselves on schedules, that they want to develop new routines, that they want to maybe use some of this time to um, kind of do something that they've never had time to do.
0: I'm smiling because that's almost exactly what I've been going through. I've completely made a new routine, starting and ending with Mm -hmm. my neighbor, who was my roommate. Um, mm-hmm. Every morning mm-hmm. he comes down for coffee. I've had to learn how to make coffee.
1: <laughs> New, right? New skills. Yeah.
0: Never. I mean, I knew how to make coffee, but I never made anything that was really drinkable. Um, mm-hmm. And we in the sad road. I know. And then, <laughs> well, I'm perfecting it, and uh, and now okay. we end the day together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and that is going to be. You know, an interesting thing for me in my practice to make use of with people later. And, and the other thing that I have found just so um, lovely is that people are figuring out ways to connect with each other. Even people on, on the street, you know, you walk your dog you, or you have to go out for something. You stand at the kind of the approved distance and you have a conversation. Like humans are really resourceful and they're really creative. And in a situation like this, if they can mobilize all that, then it's, um, it's very interesting to see how people create new contexts for themselves.
0: Can you elaborate on the attachment um, research that has that is coming out. I I know that there's been so much focused on, on infants, but what does it mean for, Mm -hmm. for, from like, from, I guess your point of view as, as a psychologist thinking about the way that the mind works Mm -hmm. and human behavior, what is it that we are collectively going through of being separated from people we want to see and having our movement limit? I guess the movement's Mm -hmm. not so much. It's really the people. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's going to be different for different people. So there are, you know, there are of course people who find this sort of uh socially sanctioned withdrawal from others to be kind of a welcome relief. You know, there are people <laughs> yeah. who right, there are people whose contact needs are relatively low.
0: Yeah, my sister said introverts have been preparing for this their whole lives.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and again, I'm really interested in how this is going to play out because I wonder over the coming weeks, you know, how long is it going to take for somebody to say, "Okay, fine, I've done enough introversion, and now I really, um, I'm really not enjoying being alone." There are people who are going to suffer a lot because their way of being is to always be in contact with others, and so until they, you know, until they figure out ways of having some kind of at least somewhat satisfying contact, they're going to be really uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. They're the ones who really need to know about things like you can have dinner with your friend. It's just that, you know, the, the way that you relate to each other is through your computer. I mean, I think a lot about how incredibly emotionally destructive this would have been before the days of this kind of technology that allows us to be connected. I'm really grateful for it because I honestly think that some people would lose their minds through the isolation.
0: Can you describe that through like a psychological lens?
1: I can, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of really extreme um, situations. So first of all, when people go deaf, Mm -hmm. they often become paranoid. Mm. So they're cut off from communication. They actually don't know what's going on and they develop kinds of disturbances. You know, we know that when people are in, um, isolation when people are in solitary confinement they can become utterly psychotic and not and it doesn't take that long right so there's there's lots of evidence from mm-hmm. a lot of places that isolation is not so good for people and that some vulnerable people really can't handle it at all
0: it's I'm I'm interested to see how um, we how individuals and I can already see this starting to happen for myself, mm-hmm. it it is almost crystallizing mm-hmm. who is important and whose, mm-hmm. whose who's presence that maybe it surprises me mm-hmm. that I'm really missing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it fluctuates like what you, what you, I didn't even really think about that. What I need. It's not just that I miss my friends or I miss having dinner or that I feel deprived of, of catching up with them and, you know, room to room mm-hmm. or, you know, the fact that I haven't been hugged in 10 days. Yeah. But it's, it's also these transactional um, interactions of just going to the coffee shop or, or the interaction on the subway or the surprise beautiful moment between a parent and child across the street. It's, it's interesting to me that it's not just the people in my life who I, I call all the time, but there's a lot of other people I've been thinking about um, who are like in the second or third ring of my, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of my friendships and my, and the society that I, I feel, I feel their uh, lack of presence.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if you're really tuning into it, I think one of the things that this experience is really, really going to touch on for all of us is the, is the fact that we are, you know, we are deeply, deeply social creatures and, you're right it's a really interesting point that there's all different layers of social connection that are meaningful for us
0: you know as a I, I mean this is one thing that I've heard but um, as a therapist and as as a, psych, a psychologist, you mm-hmm. have a responsibility to for example, if someone may hurt themselves or hurt others, you have to report it. You know, mm-hmm. there's this confidentiality, but there's there's a confidentiality, but then there's this undertone of moral compass a bit. And how do you yeah.
1: uh-huh. how yeah. do you
0: take the information that you're like this mm-hmm. rapidly adapting information about social distancing mm-hmm. and use it in your yeah. sessions yeah. as a public health professional? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I I think um, one of the things that happened on our listservs is that people started getting it that everyone has to stay home in waves, right? So, I mean, this went very quickly over a period of a relatively short number of days, but over time, we started to realize that... We had a moral responsibility. I really realized this. I have a moral responsibility to stay home. There were some people who were kind of berating it and going to the office, right? Because we believe so much in human-to-human contact, right? I think people were saying, I have to meet my patients and I have to meet them in the office. I felt really quickly like, first of all, I am just over that age where you're supposed to be especially careful, So it's not a good idea for me to go out. It's grandiose for me to think I'm impervious. I'm not, right? It is not good for my patients. I mean, I kind of got the vibe at some point that a few of them would be worried about me if I were out in the same way that they would worry about their mother, right? Because everybody's telling their mother to stay home, including me, right? Over and over again, right? (laughs) And... The last thing is that I realized that me going to my office, right, meant me encouraging other people to tra- or giving them an opening to travel in ways that I didn't think they should be traveling. My clientele does not ride around in limousines. And if I'm in the office, they're probably coming to me by subway. And I don't want them on the subway. So they're part of, and this is a really unusual role. It comes up very rarely, but it came up here too where it felt like, it is part of my responsibility to, um, to stay home in order to encourage other people to stay home. And I have had a few conversations with people about very direct conversations, rather opinionated conversations, about some of the things that they were thinking of doing. Ooh, like what? Like, I don't want to be too specific here, but putting themselves in places just because they wanted to where they would be in crowds.
0: Yeah, it's hard not to go to your coffee shop when it's open.
1: Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Or the gelateria that's yes. open around the corner <laughs> and the lights are
1: so bright <laughs> and there's 24 flavors. Right, oh my God. That and they're really, wearing gloves. Terrible, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not getting into the nitty-gritty about whether people should have takeout or not, you know. I'm not going to make a judgment about that, but... You know, when people wanted to be uh, uh, in close contact around crowds of other people, I found myself acting like an enforcer.
0: So, what do you say to to someone in your telehealth hour? You know, like I really don't recommend that you go to the grocery store every day. I actually, you know, I know you want that interaction, but it's really important to stay at home. Or,
1: Um, yeah, I would say I think it would be wiser for you, and I would prefer to see you. Um, you know, going to the grocery store every four days, minimize contact. That's what we're being told to do. So in this way, yeah, much more than I ever do. I, I feel like I'm acting as an advocate for public health.
0: What is it about the mind, like about us as social creatures, that we, we find it hard to, to be motivated? We have to change the motivation to change our actions.
1: I think we all crave normalcy. Uh, all. Animals really thrive on routine, and so there is a real resistance. Just on the simplest, non-pathological level, there's a real resistance to giving up your routines. You know, so there's. I don't know if you experienced this, but I experienced a kind of a a multi-stage mourning for all the things. <laughs> that <are laughs> That doing. is such a good way to
0: put it. I yeah. know every day is a, di- a funeral uh-huh. for something else. It's
1: like, uh, you know, it's sort of like the the uh, you know at some point, I just, I kind of like, okay, everyone is going to know what my hair looks like uncolored and I'm just going to have to <laughs> live with that. <laughs> the very last thing that I said, you know, you can't do this was my color appointment.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. But I also think that there's these other things that can bubble up because you want to reach out to people, especially those you can't touch. And those who maybe you don't, you're not on good terms with. And you want to reach out to them or you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's really complicated in itself. For example, um, a friend who really has a difficult relationship with a parent and probably only calls them once a year and who's yeah. resigned themselves to not having a relationship. I know mm-hmm. the other day called the parent and said, like, I've asked you to be in my life and you've said no. And I'm going to ask you again right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a time where uh, there's going to be a lot of shifts in relationships, but hopefully there will be some situations where some healing will take place. That would be great, where people actually decide to get over something because, uh, because life is short. You know, there's more babies. Uh, it's kind of hard to figure out how yeah. there's going to be more love, but there will be some love, I think. There will be some babies. There will be some breakups. Um yeah, it's gonna push all kinds of things.
0: And that front part of the brain that says, I know it's coming, mm-hmm. but I don't know what yeah. it is or when it is, yeah. is is one of the more frightening yeah. aspects of the situation. And I think that's why it feels so unprecedented and feels so all encompassing. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Psychically it's it's very, very different than a lot of crises. This incredibly slow rollout.
0: Because most crises are are fast or Yeah, I was listening to an interview with a doctor who is in northern Italy. And he was saying how um, he's in a different world. And he underscored the transition was, it's just been three weeks. And it's like, Mm -hmm. we're in a war. And my colleagues are so busy. And the ward is so over overcrowded that sometimes we forget Mm -hmm. to call the family members of those who have passed away. Yeah. And that how heartbreaking it is for him that they pass away alone because people aren't allowed in the ward. Yep. Visitors aren't allowed, not just because of the con- contagion, but because mm-hmm. there's not enough protective gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really yeah. hit home for me in a way because I can't see anything. This is we're getting ready for an invisible front and an invisible enemy that is everywhere and nowhere at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's really, 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 really hard for me in my lifetime experience, it's a really unique thing. It's like a, it feels like an episode of the twilight zone, really, you know,
0: what are you pulling for now?
1: I'm pulling for how, how are you situated right here, right now? And how can I help you right here, right now? So I'm a little bit unusual. I mean, you know, so I have, um, I, I am a trained psychoanalyst, um, but I'm also a trained CBT therapist. And so
0: I have a part behavioral of behavioral therapy?
1: Cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. So I have a, a part of me that is, you know, really interested in personal history and past and, you know, how people come to be shaped. And I have a part of me that's really interested in how can I help you right here, right now, with what you're in right here, right now. And definitely this week, the more sort of CBT, mindfulness, pragmatic part of me was much more... Um, you know, much more came to work. I think this is this is really early in this process. We may live this way for a number of weeks, and I think the issues as it as it kind of rolls out are gonna are gonna change.
0: What are the layers of those
1: changes? I don't know if it's gonna be an onion like layers or if it's gonna be a journey where different things come up, which might be the best analogy because it's it, it you know we don't actually know the direction yet. But I, I think the the very first step was. Like, oh, this is real. And a certain amount of um, pragmatic thinking about, okay, if this is real, then what? Then what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to the people I love? How do I live in this? Sort of the, the deeper stuff. Uh, my experience was that a lot, of, a lot of what came up was really just, okay, how are we all going to cope? Because if, I kind of think if people aren't set up to cope well, then you actually don't want to peel that many layers of the onion because you don't want to peel that many layers of the onion if somebody hasn't created a structure for themselves that's nourishing. Over time, I think it's going to change, and and to a large degree, I think that we're going to be in a quieter space and a more vulnerable space, and I do think that's going to bring up more... It may be an opportunity to to really, in quietude, kind of think through some things. I think that this is... um, You know, one of the things that is a huge challenge for humans because humans are both blessed and cursed with uh, forebrain and the ability to think about the future is one of the big stressors here is we don't know. And whenever we don't know, you know, we like to think we know and not knowing is, is pretty disruptive, right? But one of the things we don't know right now is who is a carrier and who isn't, who's sick and who isn't. And I feel extremely strongly that that until we know that, for each other, we all have to step back. It's the most loving thing that you can do right now for other humans at this moment is to agree to step back. And I'm hoping it changes. I have had that thought too, but I don't know much about this area. I'm really hopeful that as testing gets more refined, then it's going to kind of like free things up a little bit. I always say like go towards the light. You know, you have the, the, at this point, it sounds like kind of ruminative thought, right? Why doesn't X, Y, or Z call me? And then you have the the other thought of, but look at all these people who actually light up when they see me.
0: So go towards the light is what you're saying?
1: Go towards the light, Yeah.
0: For the lightning round, um, Mm -hmm. it's called Truth or Truth, Going Mm -hmm. Light After We Go Deep. Uh Um, What is, I know that you are a knitter and you have a drawer full of beautiful yarn. Mm -hmm. Are you knitting something and are you coordinating with your sister who I assume you're only seeing virtually?
1: Um, I am, of course, knitting something. Uh, My knitting is about to like kind of really uh, take off, I think, in the next few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a feeling, because my sister's not just a knitter, she's a dyer that and she likes me to make samples for her, that I will be knitting something out of her yarn once I finish what I'm knitting now.
0: Is there anything that your that your husband or your mom or your sister has said to you that um, especially resonated with you during this time?
1: Mm, probably nothing more than the fact that we're all really checking up and checking in with each other more. So it resonates with just how like the connections are so fundamental.
0: Thank you for the therapy for me and for my listeners. Mm. (laughs) I hope it was therapeutic. (laughs) I think so. The Women is a production of iHeartRadio and myself, your host, Rose Reed. Holly Fry is our executive producer. This episode was mixed by Adrienne Lilly. Special thanks to Jill Bresler, Lexi Krupp, and especially Gail Reed. We want to hear from you, your questions, your requests, or send us a voice memo about your experience. You can email us at thewomenpod at gmail.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We'll be back next week with more from women on the front lines fighting the coronavirus and COVID-19. Take care and be safe.